Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show, everybody. Today is July 15th, 2016, and my name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. Joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet, we have Doug, Elliot, Erica, and Tiffany. Hey, guys. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. Hello. So uh, today our topic is the quackery and cruelty of animal medical research. Um, 17 to 100 million mice, rats, birds, rabbits, cats, dogs, primates, and other animals suffer and die in laboratories every year in the United States. They comprise the research uh, subjects in chemical, drug, food, cosmetics, and medical training exercises to assure that products are safe for human use. But is this really the case? Uh, so we are going to talk about that today. Um, you know, it seems like a necessary step on the face of it. Uh, when you hear it, you're like, okay, well, sure, you know, yes, it sucks, but we should test these things before we start testing them on humans. Um, however, it's not that simple. It's not that black and white. Um, there are some really interesting aspects to this topic uh, that we're going to talk about today. Um, and basically, uh, the main point being, uh, you know, is does it do any good at all? Um, you know, not not only that, but, uh, you know, are, are we actually not doing any good and causing tons of suffering uh, to these animals for no purpose? They're essentially, uh, they're not just sacrificing their lives. It's not like they're, you know, put down and tested on uh, humanely. It's, it's really um, violent and awful, some of the things that go on. So... Um, we will, uh, we will do our best not to get too dark today, but it is a dark topic. So, uh, I guess, uh, you know, quote unquote trigger warning, uh, if you have a sensitive stomach or, um, if you think that this information might, uh, might set you off in some ways, fair warning. Um, well, let's start off by, uh, uh, Tiffany, if you don't mind, if you want to, uh, let us know there were, there were a few things that you mentioned, um, that might not be so well known right now about the topic of, of animal testing. Is this mic working? Okay. <laughs> um, On the spot. Yeah. Um, well, there's not much that you hear about. You hear about like uh, factory farming, animal abuse, but you don't really hear about the experimentation that happens in medical laboratories for so-called medical research. And like you said in the, the beginning, there's like 17 to 100 million all different kinds of animals that are used for experimentation. This is just in the United States alone. Um, but people, uh, medical doctors, animal activists, laypersons have been railing against animal experimentation for decades, maybe even longer than that. Um, there's this good book, like if you guys want some sources of this, there's a video on YouTube called Lethal Medicine. It's in four parts, and it's not for the uh, sensitive. Um, it's very difficult to watch, um, but it's not impossible. Um, that's all about uh, medical experimentation, also called vivisection. Um, where they use animals. Um, but there's also another good book by the late Hans Reusch, and it's called Slaughter of the Inno Innocent, and uh, it's about animals and medical research. And he also wrote another book on the same topic called The Naked Empress. And both those books are really good resources for 
the quackery and cruelty of animal research. I mean, this goes back to the 1800s, like with famous physiologists like Claude Bernard, who, you know, allegedly did all this research that shed so much light on diabetes, which really wasn't the case. And he was just an animal torturer. He actually had a lab in his basement. And, uh, you know, he would take out dogs' pancreases and think that it shed some light on diabetes in human beings. But the main point of this is that not only is animal research or vivisection complete cruelty towards animals because they suffer so much and they die for nothing, but can you even extrapolate the results of the results that they get from these animal studies to human beings? Because after all, Humans and animals are completely different species. And anybody with some common sense would think that that you can't apply one thing that happens with animals to humans. So if we want to start out, we can start off talking about this lethal medicine movie. Um, So I guess one of the questions would be like, where do they get all of these animals from? Where do they come from? And a surprising thing for me was that a lot of these animals are kidnapped. Especially dogs and cats. Because they're domesticated. So they're... um, They're more uh, docile and uh, easy to test like uh, versus like a primate from the wild. So they they have these uh, people called bunchers that steal animals or they get them from animal shelters. So if your pet is missing, you want to jump on it really quick and try to find your pet before they get sold off. Um, Zoos have been known to sell animals to medical researchers. And they also have um, animal suppliers where they'll sell like mice, rats, and they might sell them when they're... um, like they're already modified to have certain characteristics, like they might have their ovaries taken out or something, and they sell them on to the researchers. Um, they might have built-in diseases, like their immune systems might be wiped out, and they might sell them to cancer researchers or something like that. So that's the first thing, which is really, really gross. One thing about the the bunchers, is that what you call them? Yeah. Yeah, so they sell them to what are called Class B dealers, and these uh, dealers are actually licensed by the USDA. Hmm. So it's a whole kind of racket and uh, a lot of money to be made, like billions, Hmm. because not only do they have these animal breeders and like one of our chatters wrote pu- things like puppy mills and stuff but all the money to be made off of the food the cages they even have companies that make the torture implementations mm-hmm. so it's big business yeah you have like um mice guillotines mm-hmm. to um to to i guess to cut the head off of mice but what I found really interesting when watching that documentary was um, was the the statistic that apparently the researchers have basically estimated that up to three million pets 
um, in the US are stolen um, and then sold on. And what they said to watch out for is um, when you see an advert in a newspaper or something and it says, um, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're willing to find your, find your pet um, a happy home, you know, and so they take, you know, say someone's uh, breeding or, or something like that, or they or they simply don't have the resources to look after their pet, and they're looking to um, to give their pet to you know to another family. Um, apparently, a lot of these people who put these adverts out are actually taking the pets and, and claiming that they're finding happy homes for these pets, but they're actually selling them on to biomedical research companies. Um, and uh, you know, as you said, it's it's a uh, it's a billion dollar in industry. Yeah, and there's all of these grants, like the National Institutes of Health, the NIH, gives out all of these grants every year for animal experimentation. And, you know, there's all these, you know, war on cancer and, you know, race for the cure and walk for diabetes. And none of these ailments or have ever, you know, been close to getting a cure. And all this money is poured into all this research and all these animal deaths and nothing ever, ever happens. And in the U.S., it's your tax dollars. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, um, there was an interesting um, clip. It wasn't part of that documentary, but it was one of the ones that we looked at um, for for the show. And it was, uh, I can't remember who was saying it, but he was giving a talk and he was basically saying how, how ludicrous it is that, that all of this funding gets given to these scientists. But what he was saying is, 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 uh, he was explaining the process by which, um, a scientist would, um, would apply for funding mm-hmm. and then, um, the application would then go to a sort of a, a peer review board. And that review board is by other researchers in that field. Mm-hmm. And he says, um, quite often what you find is, is that they scratch others back. They scratch each other's backs. So, for instance, one will say, "Okay, um, if I'm on the peer review board for your research funding, I will grant you funding if when I apply for research, if you grant me funding as well. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> they they sort of work together in, in sync to um, to basically, you know, get get a hell of a load of funding, mm-hmm. which a lot of it doesn't actually go toward the science, toward um, to toward the research they're doing you know a lot of it goes in their pockets unfortunately well Elliot I'll forgive you for being an Englishman that was Bob Barker the famous host of The Price is Right who always urged people to get their pets spayed and neutered so that was him but yeah he made a really good choice I mean uh, a good Uh, point yeah I didn't know he was so deep into the animal rights movement I just thought he was an advocate for animal safety but yeah, seeing him in that clip opened my eyes. I wonder if we could talk for a second about what I think is a important moral distinction, um, mm-hmm. because I can imagine, uh, you know, we've talked on this show before about uh, veganism and vegetarianism uh, not being the, uh, the healthiest option uh, and that humans need animal meat. And so I could see, you know, a lot of, of course, it, it follows that a lot of animal rights activists are vegans or vegetarians. Mm-hmm. Uh, they kind of dovetail. Um, and so they might say, well, if you eat meat, you know, how can you be 
outraged about this because your meat is also being slaughtered. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say for us, I mean, I'm pretty sure we've talked a lot here that the hosts of the show that we uh, advocate for uh, the humane treatment of uh, animals that are raised for food um, and their uh, humane execution as well, you know, mm-hmm. uh, quick, painless, um, and uh, not drawn out. And also, uh, our, we are all generally against, uh, you know, factory farming and the conditions that those animals are kept in. The distinction here, I think, is in Tiffany had mentioned earlier the word vivisection. And perhaps for some of our listeners who are not native English speakers, uh, vivisection is not dissection. Uh, vivisection is done when the animal is alive. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's quite a different thing. This is not just, uh, you know, testing some innocuous, you know, like Tylenol or something on rats. It goes much, much further than that. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's quite sadistic. And this is a whole nother level from, uh, raising a cow you know, in a good environment and then killing it quickly and then using it for meat. Uh, I think that there's a very important distinction between those two things. Um, yeah. And I wonder if you can I mean, it's a difference thoughts. between like, it's a difference between torture and, you know, humanely um, killing an animal out of necessity. You know, like the stuff that's going on with the vivisection, reading, um, there was one uh, document that we were looking at um, from the uh, the website called neves.org. Um, there was a, a doctor, her name is uh, Marjorie Kramer, Dr. Marjorie Kramer. And she was talking about her experiences in um, medical school. And one of the most disturbing things that I read about in this, and I apologize to our audience because it is very disturbing, but she talked about how they had to sedate cats and then peel back some of their skin so that they could see the muscles and the, uh, the nervous system, and then introduce different drugs into the living cat to see the effect on that system. And, you know, that, that is basically, um, you know, sanctioned torture of these animals. And her entire point was that it was entirely unnecessary, that she did not learn anything more out of this exercise than, you know, if she had, um, you know, done... Uh, been, been present at like operations where these sorts of things are are being done on humans um, out of necessity. You know that this that there really was nothing um, in this exercise that made her a better doctor in any way, shape, or form. And uh, you know she st- she was talking about all the different mice and and other animals that she had to kill over the course of going through medical school. She talked about how there was like a proper way to kill mice by laying a pencil across the back of their neck and then lifting the body until the neck breaks. Mm. And that, you know, she was kind of having to turn off that kind of emotional part of herself that was kind of horrified by this because she perceived it as a necessity to become, quote unquote, a good doctor. That you had to kind of kill this empathic um, sense in yourself to be able to be a good doctor, which is so counterintuitive. If you want to be a healer, you obviously need to be empathic but you're kind of being forced into this position where you have to kind of turn that, that off in yourself. Um, I, well, I guess I've kind of gone on a bit of a tangent. Yeah, the, the medical system really isn't about healing, though. I mean, if you yeah. look at just the nuts and bolts of it, it's just about pushing drugs and cutting and burning, you know, surgery. So I think that a lot of this animal uh, dissection and experimentation that takes place in medical schools is just a way of desensitizing people 
like uh, it was either in this book that I read or the movie where they said that they desensitize people to shedding blood from animals so they can get used to shedding blood from human beings. And, you know, what is usually considered torture and a felony offense now, um, if it's done in the name of animal experimentation and somebody's wearing a white lab coat, then it's all good. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's, that it's, it's, uh Sorry, go ahead, John. Uh, oh, I, I was just going to say, I think that, um, you know, like Doug mentioned, you know, that it doesn't do any good, that that's kind of the, the kicker here because mm-hmm. you you could – you could potentially, uh, as dark as it is, make an argument that if this is saving people's lives, um, you know, there's uh, there's good and bad in the world, and sometimes you need to, to do bad things to do good things. And you weigh the, the, the benefit of one thing versus the, the negative, uh, you know, of the other. Um, that could be a potential argument if there were... Uh, outcomes that were actually causing real results here. But the kicker is um, that it doesn't. And that, mm-hmm. that was a fascinating thing for me uh, to find out that, you know, because the, we were talking before the show and I was thinking like, okay, well, if you're, if you're testing a new drug, let's say um, you don't want to go, I mean, logically you don't want to go right to testing it on humans because, you know, what if you kill somebody or what if you cause somebody uh, irreversible suffering for the rest of their life, you know, or screw up their brain or all these different things. Um, uh, however, uh, when the companies, you know, not just drug companies, but food, cosmetics, all these other industries, when they test on animals, the results are not applicable to humans. And that's, that's the kicker because then when they go to human testing, they're essentially starting over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, humans and they're, are they're the guinea pigs. On, yeah. Yeah. So, I, and that is, uh, I think, a really fascinating distinction that a lot of people are not aware of. Well, that argument yeah, that yeah. you brought up, like, if we don't test on humans, then, I mean, if we don't test on animals, then we'll have to test on humans. Like, or people will say, well, you know, what's more important, a rat's life or your baby's life? And that really is the only argument that they can bring up. But like you said, the results aren't even applicable to human beings, and there is never been any animal research has led to any breakthroughs at all in any kind of human uh, medical advancement. All of it comes from, you know, studying humans clinically or people who have already been injured or ill or doing autopsies or tissue samples or things like that. Never from any kind of animal experimentation. Yeah. And I think one of the the main things um, to, to realize with this is how very different animals are from humans. You know, it's like the, the, the argument is often given, well, you know, um, non-human primates have uh, DNA that is 99% the same as humans. But that 1% makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times, you know, that it, it's, it's kind of a flawed argument because that 1% can make such a difference that they will have a completely different reaction to a drug or a surgery or whatever the case may be. So there's actually a really interesting uh, document. It's the same document I mentioned before. There's another section written by a, another doctor named Dr. Ray Greek. And he says that uh, he, he gives a bunch of different examples. Um, so apparently in uh, primates, non-human primates, um, I bet one of a good, a good example is uh, thalidomide. Now, people probably know thalidomide because it was pretty, um, a, a pretty huge scandal um, because it was causing birth defects. 
Um, but that had actually been tested on primates and there were no birth defects from them. Mm-hmm. Um, aspirin, on the other hand, pr- produces uh, birth defects in some non-human primates, but in humans, it doesn't. Um, PCP, better known as angel dust, actually sedates chimpanzees, whereas humans get uh, severe uh, paranoia and um, hyperactivity from it. And superhuman um, strength. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, nitrobenzene is toxic to humans, but not to monkeys. Um, there's a, like a huge there's list more. of all these different Pen- things. Penicillin kills guinea pigs. Guinea pigs and monkeys can take strychnine, but it kills humans. Sheep can eat arsenic. Dig- digitalis lowers uh, blood pressure in humans, but raises blood pressure in dogs. An antibiotic called chloramphenicol damages bone marrow in humans, but not in other animals. Um, lots of other animals, such as dogs, cats, rats, hamsters, and mice, don't require vitamin C, but humans, guinea pigs, and some primates do, and they'll die of scurvy if they don't get it. Uh, chloroform kills dogs, but uh, it's used successfully in surgery for human beings. So there's like a ton of stuff that does not apply to human beings. I mean, it's fairly simple um, to 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 understand why, (laughs) you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're different species. Biology. Different immune systems. Like dogs can eat poo and not get sick. (laughs) 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 Don't try that with a human being. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of something too that, like, um, uh, again, I guess I'm just playing a little bit of devil's advocate here because this is a, a topic that you know a lot of people probably don't think about and have a lot of kind of pre-programmed arguments for. Um, but another thing that popped into my mind was, uh, you know, let's say there's a drug that some company is testing and they want to make sure, you know, that it doesn't like peel your skin off and melt your organs and kill you within five minutes. So they test on animals first. Maybe, and just like throwing this out there, if if you think that your drug is going to do something that drastic, we should mm-hmm. try to find something else, you know, to do. <laughs> yeah, if um, you, it's not like this is the dark ages and we're just starting out from scratch. You know, right. there's been hundreds and th- hundreds of years of you know medical testing and people being sick and people observing them and people treating them. So it's not like we don't know anything. A lot of these experiments are just to satisfy people's sick curiosity. It's not really advancing anything. (laughs) I wonder if this would be a good time to go to our first clip uh, from Lethal Medicine. Do you guys want to play that and then we'll, we'll come back and discuss? Okay. There are many reasons why animal experimentation is an unscientific, invalid, dangerous, counterproductive, but above all, fraudulent method. The main reason for me as a doctor and a biologist is a very simple one, not just based on science or medicine, but based on pure and simple common sense and logic. Animals are physiologically, anatomically, biochemically, histologically, among so many countless other reasons, totally incomparable to human beings. The third fact that demonstrates the medical and scientific invalidity of animal experimentation 
is that human diseases cannot be recreated in animals, or in human beings for that matter, simply because once a disease is recreated, it is artificial and is no longer the original spontaneous disease that the body itself produced. For example, if you don't have epilepsy, no one can give it to you, and much less to a non-human animal. It may sometimes be possible to recreate some of the symptoms of a disease, such as seizures in the case of epilepsy, but never the actual disease itself. The artificial recreation of human diseases in animals is what's known as the animal model of human disease. This constitutes the fundamental error on which modern biomedical research is based. You cannot compare an artificially induced disease in a laboratory animal, whether it's a mouse or a chimpanzee, with a naturally occurring, spontaneous occurring disease in a human being. So, it's interesting that, like, again, playing a bit of devil's advocate here, if you want to kind of pick and choose your arguments, with the, uh, in this specific case, I don't think that you should, but for the sake of argument, hypothetically, let's, let's say, just for a moment, that the cruelty to the animals and their suffering is is out of the picture just for a moment. Um, this is not producing any results anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, so there are many billions of dollars being spent on a completely useless practice that's that's actually um, diverting attention from positive results and and resulting in a a, a total illusion uh, on the part of this establishment. Um, so you know, I I. I the reason I disclaimed that so much is because I don't think that you should set aside the suffering of the animals. No. I think that that should be integral. That should be a big part of it. But even if you look at either side of this argument um, about whether or not we should be doing this, uh, it's it's negative all around. You know, I think that um, the point that you made that you have to kind of put aside the whole moral argument is because the the real hardcore vivisectionist animal researchers are obviously psychopaths. So they're not going to yeah. respond to any kind of moral argument that you have. They're not going to respond to any argument, really, because they're going to do what they want to do, which is to torture animals. But to get a lot more people on your side, if that's what you want to do, you need to focus on the fact that it's not even scientifically sound. It's basically just a big fraud and a waste of time and a waste of money above and beyond the moral arguments. Yeah. Well, and coming back to what Jonathan asked earlier in the show about, you know, this whole vegetarian and veganism, and for our listeners in the United States, you may have heard of the PETA organization, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for a long time I personally just assumed, oh, they're all about, you know, people not eating meat and being vegetarian because of the moral thing, but really a large portion of their um, focus is this animal vivisection and getting the information out there. And um, they have a website, obviously PETA, but they have information on Animal Testing 101, and a lot of what we're sharing here can be found on their website. But um, they say the same thing. Like Mm -hmm. it's it's completely useless. Mm -hmm. Like... The experimentation conducted on animals, you know, could very well be done without the use of animals and on humans, 
and and not have this sacrificing in mm-hmm. this very inhumane way like a you know, Tiffany was saying one of the things we learned in the, the movie was that when they're doing these hardcore experiments, they don't even give the animals any sort of uh, sedation or... No anesthesia. No It's anesthesia. not even required that they yeah. give them anesthesia. And sometimes they'll just cut their vocal cords so they won't make a big ruckus and disturb the experimenters. God. And based on, um, you know, their work... They've actually got the European Union, India, and Israel to abandon all animal experimentation. Mm. No kidding. Yeah. I don't know if that's entirely true, though. Yeah. Because they always have this caveat, unless it's absolutely necessary. And who decides that but the animal researchers? That's where the tricky part comes into play for me. And I... uh, Part of what kind of bums me out about this, aside from the obvious, uh, is that, um, you know, how do I say this? The, 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 the medical establishment specifically, not considering food and cosmetics for a moment, um, it, it continues to grow. Uh, these companies are juggernauts talking hundreds of billions of dollars, money that you can't even imagine. You know, you couldn't spend it in, in a hundred lifetimes. Um, uh, uh, are justifying animal testing because they they say that they are, you know, saving lives through the development of these drugs. Personally, I think, and I I think that my co-hosts agree with me, uh, is that we the the medical establishment at large should be moving towards a more holistic approach to medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, that that is actually more effective than the pharmaceutical approach. I think that's mm-hmm. been shown. Um, that. Uh, we could still um, keep a lot of like modern diseases uh, and uh, regular medical treatments, uh, sorry, keep modern diseases at bay and keep a lot of medical treatments effective with a homeopathic approach, with a holistic approach. Uh, It's not hippy dippy. You know, a lot of stuff like actually works. Uh, It even works on serious hardcore things like cancer, even stage four cancer, Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, So, uh, the thing that bums me out when I think about that is that, like, you know, how are you going to change the entire medical establishment? Uh, that's not. that's where I think, you know, we, we, I I don't I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel for getting pharmaceutical companies to change their approach to medical treatment. Uh, you know, I just don't honestly, I don't even think it's possible. No, um, neither. Even, even something as, as simple as treatment. prevention. Like everybody, well, yeah. most people should know that diet and environmental toxins and all that play a big part in people's health, and no one ever focuses on that. But I think with all of these testing or experimentations on animals, it provides the companies, whether they're food or uh, cosmetic or drug companies, with uh, liability protection. Because if they say that we tested it on rats or mice or dogs or cats and nothing happened, then that kind of protects them from lawsuits. Like after one, uh, after human beings start using their product and, you know, suffer from ill effects, they can say, well, we tested it on these animals and, you know, there was no ill effects. So we're kind of not responsible once it starts being tested in human beings and they can kind of get away with things. Yeah. And they're also protected from the Animal Welfare Act 
So mm-hmm. so they're protected on both sides. So they mm-hmm. can continue along. Yeah. It's interesting actually how this whole idea of kind of animal welfare and stuff has really been kind of grouped into this hippy dippy kind of like uh um well, just this this sort of mentality, the like the vegan crusader and like mm-hmm. people who are are you know doing these bizarre and disgusting demonstrations and all this kind of stuff. It really and en- actually ends up, I think, sidelining the issue in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Um, like you know, when we were first when when this topic for the show first came up, I was kind of like, uh, I don't know, you know that's, <laughs> that's kind of like getting into the more hippy dippy kind of stuff. But real, but it's not like that's that's the thing. I mean, it's really like anybody with a functioning conscience. Mm-hmm. should have a problem with what's going on here. But uh, I think because it ends up getting grouped in with all the vegan uh, crusader type people, you know, it, it just, it, it, it separates it from uh, your average kind of public consciousness. Um, they kind of say, oh, that's for those people. Those people are wacky. So I don't have to worry about this kind of thing. I don't have to, you know, I don't, I don't uh, have to worry about the fact that, uh, you know, all my home products have been like used to torture animals mm-hmm. in a thousand different ways. So it, it really, it, it just, I find it very interesting that, that, that kind of mentality is there, that it's, it's, it's almost easier to block this kind of thing out because that's something for the hippies. Yeah. yeah and it got co-opted by the whole vegan, vegan wacko. Yeah, exactly. Tree I mean, hugger that's type. the whole thing with the PETA organization. I mean, most people hear that and, oh, it's it's the vegetarians. Mm-hmm. But like I said, even myself, to, to go through and read, you know, about what they do, it's no wonder they had to be sidelined mm-hmm. because that's just one aspect of their work. I mean, I found it really interesting that they talk about um, – environmental toxins, right? So animals are used in toxicology tests. Um, and nuclear tests. Yeah, and nuclear tests and NASA. But that this is all U.S. taxpayer money, right? So like the, the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, the FDA, the National Toxicology Program, U.S. Department of Agriculture are just a few government agencies that subject animals to cruel painful tests and then they get away you know you just think of like pesticides as just one example so they're testing all these really dangerous pesticides on animals they pass the test or whatever and then they go out and they completely contaminate the environment and people are still getting sick and dying from Mm -hmm. it so Mm -hmm. and it's not as if they don't know that these substances are dangerous or can be dangerous. I mean, there's been enough accidents or accidental spills in laboratories or with workers or whomever they can observe and see with their own eyes on a human being what the effects are. You know, just by chance, they don't have to purposely expose animals to this type of thing over and over and over again. I could see if they did it just once, but people like repeat it on hundreds and hundreds of other animals, like different times, just to see if the first researcher was right. Yeah. And yeah, they exactly. continue to get It's like, oh, we did it on a mouse. Money. Maybe we should do it on a dog now. Yeah. Or let's do it on a cat. Let's see yeah. how that's different. It's, it's, it's pretty disgusting. Well, and I yeah, think a lot of re- people don't even know about it. Like in the, the movie, you know, they, they the firefighters union, they were testing beagles burning them alive and this is one of the parts of the movie that is just really disturbing mm. 
and you can just see the fear in the animal. But to test how fire affects a beagle, so they can help humans, and they can. <laughs> and the firefighters don't even know that their organization is paying for this. Mm-hmm. That they burn these beagles alive, and and test. Well, how do they respond to being burned? Mm. It's like really. Jeez. You had to do that. You couldn't. You yeah. couldn't figure that out just by a thought experiment. You couldn't figure it out by the thousands of human people who have been accidentally burned and aren't are in hospitals right now under the treatment of doctors. You can't ask them. Oh, I'm sure that really hurt. You know, or look at their <laughs> medical records. I mean, you have to burn a dog alive or burn a pig alive. That's just sick. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the time, like, they're not even sedated, are they? So um, it's probably too expensive to sedate them or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, they think these, that these the animals... sedation might interfere with the test results. So they don't oh, do Oh, yeah, but come on. Who believes that, you know? <laughs> when you're burning, like, the skin of a pig or something. And, you know, I mean, there was this one, um, this one... Um, part of that documentary that was just entirely disturbing uh it was when they laid out a pig and um and they basically had like this flamethrower type device and they they slowly they they shaved the pig and then they slowly just um they 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 basically like just burnt this pig's skin really slowly and watched it bubble until it crisped over and the pig was still laying there and you could see that it was in pain but it'd been um it'd been held down mm. And um, I, I, I personally don't understand how these re- researchers can um, can actually do that and, and not flinch, you know, and how they can put animals through this unless they are all psychopaths, which I find very hard to believe. I think there must be some sort of disconnect there, you know. Um, yeah. And it, it just must be so difficult, you know. That's yeah. something that crossed my mind too that, you know, like – knowing what we know about psychopaths and the percentage of, of psychopaths in the population, it, it is hard to believe that the entirety of medical research in, in animal testing, that all of these people are psychopaths. I, mm-hmm. I'm kind of with you on that. I think that there's um, a process of desensitization uh, or just, um, well, of course, desensitization, but, uh, you know, just a requirement, you know, saying that, like, you're not going to get your degree or you're not going to get your paycheck unless you do this. Um you know, and a you lot have of people to take into account there's different degrees of experimentation. Some like yeah. having mice run across a, a, a maze or something like that to see how they react to different environments. Like that uh, mouse ex- or rat experiment they did like with rats and the cocaine juice. And like they gave mm. a rat some cocaine juice and the other rat had like this rat party going on with all these toys and stuff. I mean, that's kind of a light experiment versus, you know, strapping down a chimpanzee and taking his brain out. I mean, that yeah. is kind of different degrees here. It kind of goes back to the age of uh, scientific enlightenment. Um, the, the whole Descartes uh, thing and, you know, later it was uh, Francis Bacon who kind of promoted this very mechanistic view of of the world, of the universe, of how everything worked. And, you know, it was basically like they would look at an animal kind of screaming in pain. They, they said was the same thing as like a squeaky kind of engine block or something like that, or a, a machine that was making noise or something. Like it was just a reaction. There was no actual, um, you know, 
pain being experienced. It was just kind of like a, you know, in, you know, a stimulus response basically is, is all it was. Mm -hmm. So they kind of reasoned that they were therefore able to kind of do these sorts of things and, and not feel bad about it because, oh, it's just, you know, it's basically like working on a machine. Um, I think that anybody who had, like I said before, anybody who has like a functioning conscience kind of knows that that isn't the case that they can kind of feel that there's actually more there. There's a presence there. If you want to call it a soul, whatever you want to call it, that it's there, there's actually, you know, something more there. And I think, you know, if you've, if you've either don't have the ability to kind of sense that, or you've managed to kill it off in yourself by, uh, you know, exposing yourself to these kinds of psychopathic type uh, experiments, then I, th I think maybe, suddenly that that kind of you know those those sorts of feelings that kind of empathy is no longer present and you can't really um you can't feel for these animals that are going through this well one of our chatters brought up the point that there was a time when people thought that newborn babies couldn't feel pain and they actually did yeah. used to do surgery on babies without anesthesia and i would disgusting. kind of take a leap here and say that Animal experimentation is just one step on the ladder to human experimentation, and none of us can act like human experiments or torture experiments haven't happened and probably still do happen. Yeah. I wonder, uh, let's, uh, let's go to that second clip from, from Lethal Medicine, um, and we can... Uh, we can discuss that a little further when we get back. As important as the almighty dollar is, it cannot by itself explain the existence and growth of vivisection. Two more elements are essential to its survival, secrecy and deception. What are the vivisectors afraid of? If animal research is such a noble endeavor, why is it that it has to be hidden away behind fences, locked doors and in sub-basements? Animal research is conducted away from public scrutiny simply because the researchers know full well that once the public is informed, it will no longer be tolerated. Even the giant food and beverage industries, which are also engaged in vivisection, are totally dependent on both the chemical and pharmaceutical interests. Dyes and additives are routinely incorporated into practically all foods and beverages and hormones and antibiotics of all kinds are fed to the billions of farm animals people eventually eat. This is why the most powerful corporations in America don't want you to know the facts about animal research and testing, even if your life depended on it. And of course, it does. Fortunately, growing numbers of people are beginning to realize that the research animals are not the only victims. Millions of human beings suffer the predictable consequences of a fraudulent research, which is responsible for the most systematic, massive, and widespread damage to human health ever known. Consequently, far from being cured, diseases are on the increase, claiming more lives every year. The genetic manipulation of animals, the production of transgenic animals, producing animals such as pigs with organs laced with human genes... This whole area of genetic manipulation of animals, of biotechnology, gene technology, is a very subtle, tacit acknowledgement by the animal experimenters themselves that animal experiments do not work, they have never worked, and therefore, because animal experiments have always failed and they continue to fail, 
the animals have to be made more human. They're being, in quotes, humanized, provided with human genes. But even if we give mice human genes, or pigs, with livers and lungs and hearts, which supposedly, according to the claims of the animal experimenters, can be used as organs in transplants for human beings, they're still pigs. It's still a liver from the unique physiological and biochemical and anatomical being which we have chosen to call a pig. It's not a human. It will never be a human. Nope. Yep. <sighs> this is one of, one of those topics that's just, uh, that's hard to talk about, you know, um, but I think like we've, we've addressed other really difficult topics on this show before too. And, uh, while you don't need to make it your life's work necessarily, I think it's important to not, um, shy away from it, you know, facing this kind of, uh, cruelty and, uh, Understanding that it goes on, uh, understanding what you can do about it is a, is an important part of uh, essentially being a, a well-rounded person. You know, we, we need to be able to kind of look this in the face and understand how to talk about it. Um, because as long as people just kind of say, "Well, that that's awful. I don't want to think about that," um, there are other people who are just going to keep doing it. They're going to say, "Okay, good. Don't don't think about it. You know, yeah. so I can keep doing this thing." Yeah. Keep doing it in secret. Yeah. Well, it's interesting um, that he said about he said that uh, a lot of the researchers that that do this work um, they're not actually convinced themselves that you can extrapolate these results to human beings, um, and it makes you question: Well, <laughs> why why do they continue to do this then? I mean, you could say some of them, yeah, okay, they're sadistic, they're psychopathic, blah, 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 blah. But I think um, I think what this is often used for is because there's a common belief among people that if it's tested on animals, then, it, it, you know, it, it's saving our children, essentially. <laughs> you know, like, what would you rather test? Would you rather test rats or babies? That's like the, the you know, the, the common sort of... Um, narrative that's that's proposed by these by these biomedical companies and stuff so they try to justify it by by um by saying that we essentially need this in society and if we didn't have this then people would get very ill or you know we wouldn't be able to 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 produce these drugs that that help so many people but i think um i think a lot of the time there's so much politics involved um that these scientists are basically i mean like it said in the documentary that you can you can basically um come out with any results that you want to when you're testing animals so if you breed a certain animal to display cancer later on in life you can come you can you can feed that animal a type of food or you can expose them to cigarette smoke or you can you can do anything you want and that that animal is very likely going to get cancer and so then you publish this in a journal and perhaps, you know, there are certain bodies, certain networks, certain groups that would like to see certain results published to further their own agendas. Um, and so I think a lot of the time, even, you know, even if scientists aren't convinced that this works, they're being paid by people who want certain results. And this is why it continues. 
And I don't think you can discount the fact that they're being paid and they need jobs and they need to support themselves, too. It's not like they're going to wake up to it all of a sudden and say, oh, this is horrible. I'm going to go work at Walmart. No, (laughs) they're going to keep doing what they do. And that's just kind of the way that some people are. One thing that was and interesting. The ironic in, in, thing about it all. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I would say what you were going to say because this may change topics. Well, so was I. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Erica. Oh well, um, you know, again, this movie was made in 1997, so we're looking at 20 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So, in it was either in part three or part four, they talked about vaccinations. This seems to be a thing that I'm interested in. <laughs> but um, they said in, in that vaccinations are without a doubt one, uh, one of the most sacred areas of biomedical research. And back in 1996, Money Magazine, which is a you know pretty well-read magazine, actually carried an article called The Lethal Dangers of the Billion-Dollar Vaccine Business. And so they talk about how vaccines are produced with animal tissues and how um, they carry dire consequences for humanity. So this was in a, in a mainstream media, right? So 59 health problems, immune, immunological, neurological disorders that are suspected uh, to be the result of vaccines such as DPT, measles, mumps, oral, oral polio, hepatitis B. And I won't get into the whole SB40 polio vaccine thing, mm-hmm. but it... In the documentary, they talk about the monkey genes and, you know, how the polio vaccine was heralded by the vivisection industry as a triumph of animal experimentation. And really, you know, they go into the whole thing about how these monkey genes could very well be this whole epidemic of cancer that we're seeing in the baby boomer industry. Mm -hmm. And it's frightening, you know, because it's basically all big pharma's based on animal tests. And, you know, they kind of concluded the movie with humans are now the guinea pigs. So, mm. Yeah, well, uh, just consider the whole cholesterol myth that was done with animal experimentation on rabbits. And rabbits aren't even supposed to be eating meat or fat. They're vegetarians. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, a faulty animal experiment where they came up with any kind of conclusion that they wanted to prove their own point, was thrust upon the populace with dire results and an increase in heart attacks and heart disease. And look at how long that held for. Yeah. You know, that flawed experiment was held up as, as evidence, and that, that held on for like 60, 70 years. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's unbelievable. And it's still like hanging it's just, on. It's just little well, by yeah, little exactly. people are starting to yeah. wake up to it. Yeah. And it's like, it, it, that, that's a very good illustration actually, Tiff, because it's just, it, it just, the, the point really needs to be driven home that these results that they get from these experiments on animals are not translatable to humans. Mm-hmm. And they even know that. Like, I mean, if you do a bunch of experiments on non-human primates, all that experiment tells you is how a non-human primate will react to this whatever, whatever the experiment is, you know, drug, uh, food, whatever. And you, th- there's still an unknown there. People still don't know how humans are going to react to it. So really, they're no further ahead having done this experiment. There still is that same unknown. They, like, you know, they might kid themselves into thinking that, well, maybe 
Um, since it didn't have uh, an effect on the monkey, it won't have an effect on the, the on people either. But mm. really, the, the, there's no uh, a, there's no sure surety there at all. It's still a, a, an unknown. So why do the the, the animal test? Yeah, you can't even extrapolate results done on men to women or results for younger people to older people or even results that are found in the wintertime to what would happen in the summertime. I mean, people are so individual and so unique. You can't even do that for people in the same family who eat the same diet a lot of the times, as we found out. It's true. Well, and it's I do like, think a uh, lot of it comes back to, to money, too. Um, you know, one experiment they were doing on primates was testing their addictive, you know, personalities. Or, yeah. so, so they're feeding this primate tons of cocaine, and they're spending more money on studying the effects of cocaine on primates than they do on rehabilitation or helping actual human drug addicts. If they wanted to know about the effect of cocaine addiction, go to a rehab facility and look at the people there. Seriously, Go to a club. (laughs) Have you guys heard of the... uh, the whole the rabbit died thing, like when women used to say that they were pregnant, they would say that the rabbit died. That was actually a test. <laughs> like they would take the wow. urine of a pregnant woman and inject it into a rabbit and it would cause changes in the rabbit's ovaries due to the uh, is it the human growth hormone that's found in the, the woman's urine? But actually, the the myth was that the rabbit would die if the woman was pregnant after you injected her. But really, all the rabbits died because they had to <laughs> kill the rabbit and open it up to look at the rabbit's ovaries. And the results weren't oh even, God. you know, specific or accurate. Hmm. Jeez. That brings up a point, I think, that uh, Doug, you had mentioned earlier that, you know, this is not the Dark Ages. And I, I think that... Uh, a lot of people might make that argument. They'd say, well, sure, things like that happened, you know, 200, 300 years ago, um, but we don't do that anymore. There's this uh, illusion, I think, that we're that we're so far removed uh, mm-hmm. from that era, uh, which is not true. Uh, those same things are, are still happening. Uh, people are doing really random, cruel uh sadistic experiments on animals for uh you know purposes that are just as random as what you just quoted you know about trying to find out if somebody's pregnant mm-hmm. um and it's still happening today and i i hate to you know i'm not like a troglodyte or anything like anti-progress uh but uh i i almost want to say like we, we've got enough stuff and things and uh, medicine and chemicals. Mm-hmm. Like, we could just stop, at least for a while. Yeah. Uh, How much know, more we do we need? Our, yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm not anti-progress, but I think that with all the stuff that we have right now between the medicines and the chemicals, um, that we could just use those for a while mm-hmm. uh, and, and not make anything new. Um, but there is, of course, there's of course an industry. There's an industry around it, and uh, exactly. you know, as long as billions of dollars are being generated, um, it's going to keep going. Yeah, yeah. Maybe at some point in the future, 
if we have a future, people will look back and see this as one of the dark ages of, of, of medicine. Totally. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, like medieval torture judges, like they still exist, right? Yeah. Like it's just, <laughs> they're a little bit different because this guy's in white lab coats now. But that, that, that kind of sadistic um, torture is still, mm-hmm. still going on. Like, there's a few stories on site about this Italian doctor who wanted to do a head transplant on a human being. Well, that was actually based on a former whacked out mad scientist who did head transplants on dogs and monkeys. Oh, God. So, it's like a slippery slope. Once you start doing all this sick stuff on animals, eventually some whacked out people are going to want to start doing it on human beings. And nobody benefited from this whole, you know, transplanting heads for dogs or on monkeys. I mean, how did the advanced science one iota? And I don't know if you guys ever heard of the baby Faye case that took place in 1984. There was this newborn baby that was born with a congenital heart defect and her mother didn't have insurance. And allegedly, they couldn't find a human donor for her, but they had a baboon. So the doctor offered the mother the baboon's heart for free. And, of course, it didn't work. The baby lived, but I question, you know, what they meant by live. But they said she lived for like 21 days with this baboon's heart in her, and eventually she died. But they said that the reason that the the transplant was successful is because they failed to do blood typing tests, that the baby was O positive and the baboon was AB negative or something like that. And that's why it didn't work. They didn't even consider that the human baby had a baboon heart in her. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. I don't know what to say. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I thought yeah. the medical industry was completely backwards and retarded and just terrible before this, but this just takes the cake. I can't believe yeah. that this stuff is going on. It's just mind-boggling to me. And, you know, people talk about it like it's a serious, like a real thing. Like this research actually can even apply to real life. It's like they're living in some kind of fantasy world. Mm. Well, I think it's like anything. They've just been convinced of that. Yeah. You know, this this industry requires that people are convinced that um, what they're doing is good. It's a necessary evil mm. when it's not. But, you know, if people, you know, I think if things were just kind of left to the to the way they are and they weren't fed this steady stream of propaganda that that uh, this is somehow necessary, they pr- they probably wouldn't come to that conclusion themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like, you know what, this is this is going too far. I, I don't think that we should be doing this. Um, but you know, you get kind of this message over and over and over again that, that this is what progress is about and it's a necessary evil for us to make advances, then, you know, people will believe that, or they just don't want to think about it. You know, it's a, it's a viable excuse to ignore it. So they yeah. And it's like nobody notices that there haven't been any advances. People are getting sicker and sicker and sicker. Nobody ever gets better. All these drugs are put on the market. And then a couple years later, all these people are dropping dead or having all these side effects. And they pull them off the market. If animal research was so great, then we would be getting better, not worse. 
Yeah. There will be better exactly. drugs, not worse drugs. Well, it's funny. Yeah. At the beginning of the show, I, I think I, I don't remember Tiff if it was you or Erica that was mentioning the whole like you know the the people raising money for different diseases like the run for the cure or mm-hmm. walk for the cure or whatever those things are. I wonder how many people would be uh, participating in those with such gusto if they knew that the money that they're raising is going to torture animals mm-hmm. and that there is very very little chance that that's actually going to lead to any kind of development uh, towards curing the disease. Not many, because you see how crazed people get when police kill people's family pets. I don't know what would happen if they knew this kind of stuff was going on on such a a large scale. Well, I looked into it after watching the documentary, and I wanted to see, you know, if it really made much of an effect on people. I mean, obviously, it's on YouTube. It's not getting a lot of play. But in 2015, in uh, February, CBS News came out with a report saying that animal experimentation is up 73%. So it goes on to talk about how uh, the use of animals in experiments at leading federally funded labs has increased 73% in the last 15 years. The study in the Journal of Medical Ethics found the number of animals tested rose from 1,566,994 1,566,994 in 1997, so that was the year the movie was made, to 2,705,772 in 2012. In, and uh, by the top 24 institutional recipients of the National Institute of Health grants. So it's a growth industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and another thing this makes me think of is just this uh, kind of blatant disconnect between, you know, disease, lifestyle, medicine, and our perceptions of that, uh, if that kind of makes sense. Like when when you mentioned the, uh, you know, the walk for the cure, the run for the cure, and all these kind of fundraiser kind of things. One example that always sticks out to me, I will never forget this, that I saw at a walk for a cure for diabetes, they were serving hot dogs on white bread buns with soda. (laughs) And Coca-Cola sponsored the event. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Or if you buy a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken with a pink ribbon on it, they donate some, like a dollar (laughs) to to breast cancer research. It's like, really? And yeah, I mean, it just, it really boggles the mind and you don't have to be like a health nut or some, you know, rogue independent mm. scientific researcher, you know, or like on the fringe of things to get the common sense that that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, it makes perfect uh, sense. Lots of it for corporations get lots of money. For, yeah. <laughs> lots of dollars. Sure. Money flow. But then, you know, uh, also talking about revisiting the idea that this, you know, the animal testing saves lives. And of course, uh, you know, maybe here in the course of this show, we have not proven uh, definitively that it doesn't. But if you look into this, you will see what, what we saw. Um, you'll see that, you know, uh, like the reason I say that is because we're only here talking for an hour, you know, but it, there, a lot of people have put a lot of energy into looking into this. Um, and it's just shown that it's not doing any good. Um, but not only that, but you look at the statistics behind medicines that are 
like I think Tiffy said this a little minute ago, like that, that, you know, the drugs are put out into the market and then they're recalled later. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one that I heard a while back uh, was that Vioxx, uh, which I think was Pfizer, um, mm-hmm. what, uh, k- actually killed more people than the Vietnam War. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. That the, if you look up the death statistics from Vioxx, and they got out of that with a, I think, like a $5 billion settlement. Mm. Um, you know, and so, and that's a drop, $5 billion is a drop in the bucket for a pharmaceutical company. Uh, it may not seem like it, but if you look at their books, it really is. Uh, and, you know, so the, the idea that they're trying to head this off and, you know, he- head off the negative impact on humans by testing on animals uh, is ultimately BS. First of all, because it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Second of all, you can look at their actions once their drugs actually do start killing people. They set a lot of court that bury the story, and nobody ever knows that that happened. Um, they don't really, really care about that. I think Doug, the, made, the point you made earlier is is really apropos that this is just, it's a it's a PR liability issue. You know, it's mm-hmm. say, it, it's so that they can say that they tested on animals, um, so that they're not responsible for any more, further negative effects. Um, and if we treated uh, pharmaceutical companies, specifically the way we treat individual citizens, they would all be on death row. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, and even things like um, environmental toxins, you know, there's 40,000 different types of pesticides found safe and approved by regulatory agencies based on contradictory animal tests. Mm-hmm. So it's it's every aspect. Yes. Unbelievable. And you can bet the companies who do fund that research are probably well aware that the validity and reliability of the results can't really be um basically how the results can't be extrapolated to humans. Um but you know they it benefits them to have to have it to have the results out, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. that's why they do it that's in secrecy, <laughs> and and you exactly. know, and and really disarm organizations, and as we said earlier in the show, paint people as radicals and activists and animal lovers. When you know, there's some validity to these concerns. Mm-hmm. Well. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's hard to say much more about it. Um, I mean, I guess th- we're, we're... there are alternatives. Like, people will volunteer for experiments as long as they're not too dangerous. I mean, you could <laughs> study populations of people who've been in accidents or who come up with certain diseases spontaneously because, like, uh, uh, we played in a couple of those clips, like artificially grafting a tumor onto a mouse's back is not the same thing as a human being coming down with cancer. Or smashing a dog's knees is not going to shed any light on arthritis in human beings. Or shocking a monkey is not going to shed any light on uh, epilepsy in human beings. You can always study cell cultures, organs. You can do autopsies. People donate their bodies to science. You can just look at people in the hospital as their doctor and make, you know, educated guesses. I mean, practicing medicine is both a science and an art. So use your creativity and come up with 
things that will help your patients, you know, just by looking at them and studying them and comparing them to other patients who went through the same thing. I mean, it doesn't take a lot. I mean, you don't have to kill millions of animals every single year and come up with nothing (laughs) in order to, you know, treat human beings. It's just ridiculous. And that's all yeah. I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah. Totally agree. Well, I think that's a good place to uh, to wrap it up, actually. I, um, let's uh, let's go to Zoya's pet health segment today. And for a, uh, a, a bizarre shift in, in mood, uh, Zoya has a, a segment for us about fun facts about farm animals. So yeah. hopefully... Maybe if you want to not be uh, flippant about it and just look at this as a, a way to uh, rejoice in what is cool and, and fun about animals and uh, and keep that in your mind as uh, as one of the reasons for why this needs to be uh, thought about and discussed and brought into the, into the light. Because if you uh, are an empathetic person and you care about uh, animals and you care about suffering... Um, you know, whether you're a vegan or a carnivore or whatever, uh, I think we're all in the same boat on this one. Uh, it's it's cruelty towards living beings with no purpose, uh, and that that should be that should be discussed, brought into the light, and then uh, gotten rid of if possible. You know, or at least understood. Uh, so, sorry, I was just about to go on a little rant there, but let's <laughs> let's go to the. Let's go to the pet health segment, and we will uh, we'll come back and wrap up after this. Hello, and welcome to the pet health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. Until now, most of the segments had to do with small animals. But large animals are also very interesting and fascinating. So here are some facts about farm animals. Goats and sheep don't have teeth on the upper jaw. They have a hard palate that helps them grind their food. Goats are great companions for other farm animals, including horses, cows, and chickens. Therefore, if you plan on creating a a small farm, don't be afraid to mix and match. As we all know, sheep make a bleating sound, and a baby lamb can identify its mother by her bleat. I actually have a personal experience with that, uh, when we had to separate and take blood from over 150 lambs. After we finished our task and released the babies, all of them had no problem finding their mothers. But as you can imagine, the bleating was deafening. More about sheep. One mature female sheep produces 7 to 10 pounds of newly shorn wool a year, enough to make a man's suit. Something to keep in mind before the upcoming Ice Age. Goats were the first animals uh, to be domesticated, according to many historians. Yep. And apparently they are trainable just like dogs and also like to perform all kind of tasks. Uh, something to consider if you have a need for a guard goat. And there is more about goats. The goat is among the cleanest of animals and is much more selective feeder than cows, sheep, pigs, chickens and even dogs. Goats do eat many different species of plants but do not want to eat food that has been contaminated or that has been on the floor or the ground. And there is a fact that many of us already know. The chicken is the closest living relative to the T-Rex. The extremities, though, got longer and much fluffier. Some breeds of chickens can lay colored eggs. 
the Americana and uh, Auricana can lay eggs of green and blue. Speaking of chickens, apparently they have over 200 distinct noises that can make for, they can make for communicating. And contrary to the common belief, they are quite intelligent and can be trained to perform various tricks. More about animal intelligence. Pigs are considered to be the fourth most intelligent animal after chimpanzees, dolphins and elephants. Yep, even before dogs. A group of pigs is called a sounder. Cows can recognize their names, though they may not come when called. Kind of like cats, eh? Cows also have a memory of about three years. Cows are also social animals who form bonds with each other. In a herd of cows, many will form uh, cliques together. And even more, more about goats. Apparently goats are great swimmers. Some wild goats can climb trees and can walk along a ledge not much wider than a tightrope. Female ducks are called hens and male ducks are called drakes. Ducklings are born already uh, ready to leave the nest within hours of hatching. Their eyes are open and they are able to find some of their own food. Geese are faithful, made for life, and mourn when their partner dies. Pigs can run 11 miles per hour. It is almost 18 kilometers per hour. And another fun fact. Cows can sense a storm coming and will lie down. Goats have rectangular pupils, allowing them to see well in the dark. And ducks' feathers are waterproof. A special gland near the tail produces oil that spreads and cover the, covers the outer coats of feathers. Pigs don't have sweat glands, so they must roll in mud to stay cool and prevent sunburns. But otherwise, they are very clean animals. Well, this is it for today. Thank you for listening and have a great weekend. <laughs> All right, thanks, Soya. Yeah, thanks for lightening it up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, much appreciated. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, regarding the, uh, the the topic of our show, uh, as we said, I don't want to uh, to beat the point into the ground, but uh, it is a a dark topic that uh, that needs to be looked at and discussed, and uh, you don't need to, um, you know, uh, be obsessed with it, uh, but uh, don't shy away from it, you know. And if it comes up, um, just kind of the same point, like that we made uh, last week about uh, plastics. You know, um, <clears throat> you don't need to like become a crusader, you know, or be like the poster boy or the poster girl for anti this or that. Um, but in your daily life, you can make some changes. Uh, you can stop contributing to something that you don't agree with. Um, you can buy and, cruelty-free uh, products. Totally, yep. Uh, and when it comes up, uh, if it comes up in conversation with other people, you can have the information, uh, you know, in your mind so that you know what to uh, what to talk about and what points to make instead of just saying, uh, well, that sucks, I don't know anything about it. Um, you know, knowledge never hurts. Uh, it, it always uh, contributes to being able to uh, make a difference somehow, uh, even if it's not. Uh, you know, of course, we would we would all like to see the uh, the the whole system changed in one way or another. 
Um, maybe we can't do that individually, but we can make small changes. We can uh, um, contribute to better, you know, better things uh, in our lives and in the world. Uh, and not only that, but you know, um, listen to your to your own conscience. I think there's something to be said for, uh, you know, essentially alleviating your conscience. You know, where you can say, like you 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 notice when you stop contributing to a certain area uh, of negativity in the world, um, you can say you kind of gain a little bit of, of willpower uh, from doing that. Um, and that's, I guess that's a whole nother topic, but it's something that crossed my mind. But uh, so I don't know. Do you guys have anything to add? I'm good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's much else to say. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's our that's our show for today. Then, so uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, thanks to our chat participants. Um, and uh, you know, while we while we go back and forth between light and dark topics, we'll have a lighter one next week. Thanks everybody. Uh, thanks guys. <laughs>